you know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver. And today, we will run down the Javante Davis uh, Ryan Garcia fight from Saturday night. I will also talk about David Morrell and what might uh, be his future after his first round destruction of Yamaguchi Falcoa on the Tank Garcia undercard. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another Q&A session and part one of my historical overview of my greatest fighter of the last 45 years, my project, my ranking, my list, my totals are in from the last 45 years. My number one, my greatest fighter of the last 45 years, part one at the end of the podcast on Sugar Ray Leonard. And before we talk about the Sugar Man, Raymond Charles Leonard, I will talk about the man he idolized, the man that he based his style and charisma on, Muhammad Ali. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already, please, I have a Patreon podcast on the Fight Game Media Patreon portion of the podcast which is an additional five dollars per month the link is in the description of this podcast it is the life and times of muhammad ali part three just came out his virtuoso performance many consider including my father his greatest performance in the history of his entire career his November 14th, 1966, third round knockout of Cleveland Williams. Now, what I do, there are three parts already. It's a 10-part series. The first three parts are available on the website. Part one versus Sonny Liston. The rematch, the Phantom Punch, May 25th, 1965. 
part two, his twelfth round virtuoso one one uh sided performance against Floyd Patterson, two time heavyweight champion of the world, November nineteen sixty five. And part three, November nineteen sixty six, his Magna Opus, the his Mona Lisa, his Basquiat performance against Cleveland Williams. Now, each part I give you the historical rundown of what was going on, not only in his life, but in America and the world, as told to me by my father. All of these stories that I talk about, all of these incidents, my father spoke to me about this throughout my entire lifetime up until he died 23 years ago. My father was always educating me in the sport of boxing, and he used to always talk about Ali and what was going on in the 1960s and 1970s. I was born in 1968. Didn't start watching boxing until 1977. So all these stories and history lessons that I give you on the Patreon concerning Muhammad Ali was told to me by my father. And at the end of each episode, I rebroadcast, I reannounce each fight. I give you the timestamp, um, the YouTube channel Vintage Boxing, which is run by my buddy from the UK, Martin. Great website. Go check it out. I mean, great YouTube channel. Go check it out. Uh, Vintage Boxing on YouTube. Pristine uh, videos of each of these great fights in its entirety. I give you the timestamp. I tell you to mute your device or your TV. And then I, we take it from there as I announce the fight in its entirety. So once again, check out, if you're interested, the Patreon link is in the description of this podcast. Now on to Saturday night. Before we get to uh, the main event, David Morrell totally destroyed Yamaguchi Falcoa, a decent super middleweight, a former Olympic medalist from Brazil who has not been outstanding in his career. He's a solid fighter, not a great fighter. Morrell destroyed him in one round. Morrell, 9-0 with eight knockouts. He was billed as the WBA super middleweight champion. That's a bullshit title. These criminal cartels that uh, front as boxing sanctioning bodies, they need to be stopped. The WBA claimed they were going to clean up all their titles. At one point in time, the WBA had three world champions per division. How the fuck do you do that? This is a disgrace. It is a disgrace. Canelo Alvarez is the only super middleweight champion, yet the WBA has David Morrell as its regular champion and Canelo as its super champion. What kind of crap is that? You know what they're doing, fans? The casual fans that are listening, this is a way of these criminal cartels, these criminal alphabet suit bodies to cipher money and steal money from fighters by giving them a bogus title so they can charge them sanctioning fees every time they defend that bogus title. Just like Javante Tank Davis has the bogus WBA champion. There's only one real lightweight champion. I'll get more into that after I talk about David Morrell. Well... Regardless of the phony title that he holds, 
David Morrell is a generational talent, just like David Benavides. He called out Benavides. You know what? If Benavides can't get Canelo, the next best fight to do is Benavides versus Morrell. Now, people are going to say, oh, Morrell only has nine pro fights. Morrell is from the Cuban amateur system. By the time they turn pro, they are already pro because they fight nothing but the best fighters in Cuba. Morrell and Benavidez would be a phenomenal fight. Morrell is ready. Benavidez been ready. Let's make this fight happen if Canelo won't fight either fighter. And Canelo's fighting in uh, 10 days against a stiff named John Ryder. I'm not even going to make a prediction on that fight because Canelo's going to uh, dog walk that bum. And then afterwards, what 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 Canelo wants to fight in September? Who should he fight in September? He should fight either David Morrell or David Benavidez. I don't want to hear about anybody else. He's trying to get Bavol in a rematch. Bavol will dog walk him again. Why? I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, David Morrell is a phenomenal young fighter, and it's time to put him in the ring with the big boys at 168. And there's only two that I want to see him in with, David Benavides or Canelo Alvarez. I doubt if Canelo happens, so let's make Morrell versus Benavides. And now on to the main event. First and foremost, I want to congratulate the real-life Cuddy from the wire, and that is Calvin Ford. Calvin Ford turned his life around and devoted his life to training young boxers in Baltimore, to helping kids stay off the streets or get off the streets by starting his boxing program. Man, I don't, it, it's been so many years. Well, his prized pupil, a, a, a young boy who at five years old stepped into Calvin Ford's gym and Calvin Ford kept this young man off the streets of Baltimore and becoming the best fighter from Baltimore since Joe Gans. And for those of you who do not know Joe Gans, he was the first superstar black athlete in America um, at the turn of the 20th century, one of the greatest lightweights that ever lived. Javante Davis is the best fighter from Baltimore since Joe Gans. And Javante Davis, ladies and gentlemen, is a problem. He's a tremendous fighter. Calvin Ford gave him the perfect game plan, and Gervonta executed it against Ryan Garcia. Now, Ryan Garcia has a powerful left hook and a very nice left jab. Gervonta knew this. Calvin Ford knew this. And they set up a game plan to counter that left jab, to counter that left hook, and to counter Ryan Garcia's wild the wild way he throws punches. Round one, Tank gave it away as he was feeling out Ryan, seeing where Ryan was going. Ryan won round one because he was the only one that threw punches. He threw that jab several times. Round two, Ryan landed a beautiful uh, three, four punch combination at the beginning of the round. And I don't know if Javante fainted that he was hurt or he was uh, startled, but Javante stayed cool, and Javante started moving. And so Ryan started to try and walk Javante down. And what did Javante do? Javante, midway through the round, landed a picture-perfect left-cross combination. Now, I've got guys on my Twitter account who follow me, who I follow back, 
that are amateur boxers that called that a left hook. You had Miguel Flores, who did the international coverage that I was watching because I stole the fight, because I steal all pay-per-views. If you don't fucking like it, too bad. Go call the FBI on me. I don't give a damn. I'm not paying $90 for a pay-per-view. Uh-uh, not in these economic times. I watch every penny, baby, because I'm a frugal bastard. I've been stealing fights since 1996. Unless I go to the arena and see the fight and pay a ticket, I ain't paying up uh, for a pay-per-view. Anyway, I digress. Miguel Flores, the young man on my timeline, is not a left hook. What Javante caught Ryan Garcia with was a counter left cross because Javante Davis is a soft paw, and when he throws a straight left, it's a left cross, not a left hook. I'm tired of explaining myself, and these are boxing announcers. The worst in the sport do not know the difference between a hook and a cross. Jim Lampley did. Howard Calsal did. Not these goofballs that announced the fights today. Anyway, beautiful left cross counter dropped Garcia. Garcia got up, and I give Garcia kudos. He was hurt initially, but he weathered the storm but lost the round. Two of the three judges gave Javante only a 10-9 round instead of the customary 10-8 round, and another judge had it even 10-10. What the fuck are these guys smoking? Anyway. That's not important. What's important is rounds three, four, and five. Javante was countering Ryan Garcia's jab and left hook and and wild right hand. And he was landing that left cross at will when needed to. He started going to the body. Javante was fighting brilliantly. He was going. He was moving. Oh, oh, and he was bringing Garcia towards him and luring him in. To land his counters beautifully, which was beautifully planned out by Calvin Ford. Round six was the only other round I gave Garcia as he landed several right hands. Shockingly, um, Javante looked to have taken and did take away Garcia's left hook. So Garcia started landing the right hand. And Garcia, like his mentor Oscar De La Hoya, has a very weak right hand. He's a, he's a one-armed fighter, to be honest with you. So round six I gave to Garcia because he did land the right hand a few times even though he was still getting peppered by that left cross counter. Then in round six, Garcia, realizing that he was down because he had to realize he had lost rounds two to five. And maybe he wins round six. Round six was close. I gave it to Garcia. So Garcia, who was ultra aggressive, walked into a beautiful counter left hook to the body. Now this was a hook. It was a hook to the body because when you throw body punches, you're not throwing straight shots. You're hooking to the body. And he walked into a beautiful left hook. So when you land shots to the body, left or right, they're hooks because you're hooking to the body. Well, Javante landed a Bernard Hopkins-like against Oscar De La Hoya to the uh, devastating shot to the body. Left hook right to the rib cage. Garcia... Paused, backed up, and then felt the pain, took a knee, and was unable to get up. The pain was so excruciating. He gets counted out by watching the referee count to 10. Javante Davis, with his most impressive victory to date, his most outstanding performance, a complete fight 
by a guy that's becoming a complete fighter in Javante Tank Davis. If you look at the last couple years, Javante Davis has become a tremendous boxer puncher. He adjusts his style to your style. If you move like uh, Mario uh, Mario Barrios did, he will seek and destroy. If you try and come at him like a Isaac Cruz or a Ryan Garcia or a Raleigh Romero, he will move. And then just like he did against Raleigh Romero, that beautiful counter left cross that knocked Romero out or like he did against Leo Santa Cruz, a brutal uppercut that put his lights out and against Garcia, the left to the body that put his lights out. Javante Davis right now, other than Nioa Inoue, is the most destructive one-punch knockout fighter in boxing. He puts your lights out with one punch. So right now, the only guy that I put above Javante Davis with one-punch knockout destruction is the monster Nioa Inoue. Kudos to Javante Davis. A tremendous performance. And now the only thing standing in Tank Davis's future is his uh, court appearance next month to determine whether or not he does prison time. Fingers crossed, hopefully, he doesn't. And his uh, rise to stardom, which is there, he is the most marketable American fighter right now. Without a doubt, it's not even close. He's the number one American fighter box office wise he sells out every arena he goes to i would love this is what i want for and this is what i want for the lightweight division we've got lomachenko oh and by the way ladies and gentlemen i predicted a seventh round knockout by tank davis and what happened a seventh round knockout for frank for for for, for tank davis <laughs> now on to tank davis's future what should tank davis do next in my opinion, and this is what I think the lightweight, we should see with the lightweight division. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but this is what I would like to see. And the first fight I propose is easily made because both men are PBC fighters. I want to see Tank Davis versus Frank Martin. Everybody knows how much I love Frank Martin. I told everybody several times that Frank Martin was going to be an all-time great, that he was a real deal, that he was special. Well... Let's put the two best lightweights under the PBC banner in a fight. Javante Tank Davis versus Frank Martin. They will bring the best out of each fighter. This would be a phenomenal fight. In my opinion, a 50-50 fight. I love Frank Martin, but it's a dangerous fight. But you know what? Boxing's a dangerous sport. Frank Davis proved with his uh, knockout victory of Mitchell Rivera that he's ready. That he's ready for a, a Tank Davis. And Tank Davis is ready for anybody. So let's make that fight. Frank the Ghost Martin versus Javante Tank Davis. Both men have great trainers. Derek James is Frank Martin's trainer. Calvin Ford, the Baltimore legend, is the Baltimore legend Tank Davis's trainer. Let's get this fight done. And then on the top rank ESPN side, everything's in place as Devin Haney is fighting Lomachenko May 20th. The winner, the, the winner is mandated to fight Shakur Stevenson. 
So let's get the winner of that round robin to meet the winner of the Gervonta Frank Martin fight. Propose the fight that I'm proposing. Let's get that going. Let's get that done. And then sometime next year, the two fighters that come away from those fights fight each other in the greatest lightweight fight to happen talent-wise since goddamn uh, Hector Camacho versus Edwin Rosario. Hmm. That is an amazing, amazing fight. Whether it's Frank Martin, whether it's Tank Davis, whether it's Lomachenko, Haney, or Shakur on the other side, man, that would be the ultimate 135 unification title fight. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, the best division in boxing is 135 pounds. You've got the undisputed lightweight champion of the world in Devin Haney. You've got the number one boxing star in America in Gervonta Tank Davis. You have the greatest defensive fighter and technician in the sport today, Shakur Stevenson. You got the first ballot Hall of Famer in Vasily Lomachenko. You got the rising generational star in Frank Martin. That five, that top five right there is better than any top five in any division right now in boxing. And now on to the Q&A session. Anybody that wants my answer, my questions answered, go to Twitter, hashtag AskRobSilva, and ask the question. I'll answer any type of question. It doesn't just have to be boxing. All right. Let me go to the Ask Rob Silva. Oh, I got to type it in. Oh, this might take a second. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. I'm typing in. Usually it pops right up on my search. But no, now I have to type it in. Ask Rob Silva. Let's see what questions we have from the listeners. I know I saw LL School K, uh, loyal listener, had a few there yesterday and was checking. All right, here we go. All right, this is a stupid question that he asked. A funny question. Next fight, Tank versus B-Hop, who you got? Never mind, LL. I'm going to throw that question away. All right. All right, Jesus. Jesus Salas. Oh, Regular listener and contributor to the Q&A session. Um, he wants to know, he, he's quoting Al Bernstein. And Al Bernstein says, for anyone who thinks that Ryan Garcia quit, I have to say this. He got knocked down early by a very big, very big punch by a big puncher. Got up and kept fighting for four more rounds. When he got hit with a debilitating body shot, he couldn't continue. Period. How does that equal quitting? It doesn't. Hey, Jesus, he did not quit. You asked, did he quit or not? He did not quit. Garcia got hit with a shot, and, man, unless you've been in the ring. My father was an ex-amateur boxer. He was a prison champion. He used to tell me all the time that the that the shots to the rib cage, the shots to the liver were the most debilitating punches that you could take. My father had a tremendous chin. My father once got jumped by four teenagers and they hit him with a baseball bat in the whole nine and he stood up to the whole thing while drunk and inebriated so my father had a tremendous chin 
And my father said they should have hit him. If they would have hit him to the stomach instead of the face, they would have knocked him down. <laughs> Especially the rib cage. The rib cage, he said, you get hit with a shot like that, it feels like you've been stabbed. And Ryan Garcia had the look of a man that looked like he was stabbed. So, no, he did not quit. Okay. Salty Scott asked, what's next for Ryan Garcia? You made it clear he had no chance against Tanks, and you were right. But where does he go now? But thank you, Salty. Is he that good of a fighter or just another guy now? He's made off his social following, could he, but can he still be a great boxer? Ryan Garcia, Garcia should still have a lucrative career as a fighter. I don't think he'll ever be a great fighter, Scott. But he can make a lot of money because, A, he's good looking. And, B, he's very popular amongst young people. He could have like a Bobby Chacon type career, which is what I said he'd become when I saw him get dropped by Luke Campbell. Um, there's a lot of fights out there for Ryan Garcia to have to be made where he can make a lot of money. The lightweight division and the junior welterweight division is filled with a lot of fighters. Hey, he could get a fight with Regis Progress and make good money because nobody seems to want to fight Regis Progress. As long as Oscar's his promoter, Oscar has been one of the great promoters of my lifetime. Oscar can make a ton of money off of Ryan Garcia. It's just one loss, Scott. Will he be an all-time great fighter? I, I, he's one-handed. And one thing about Oscar De La Hoya, Oscar De La Hoya was a great boxer. Ryan Garcia, he's got a nice left jab. He's got a great left hook. And at five foot ten, he's going to be a problem for most lightweights. But the cream of the crop, the five guys I mentioned, Frank Martin, he we already saw with, with Javante Tank Davis, Shakur Stevenson, Ryan wouldn't hit Shakur Stevenson with a ten foot pole. Uh, Devin Haney, no, he wouldn't hit Devin Haney. Lomachenko, well, Lomachenko was towards the end of his career. Maybe he could eke out a decision against Lomachenko. But the other four, he has no shot against uh, against them. At junior welterweight, you know what would be a great fight? He'd have a shot against a Teofimo Lopez because Teofimo Lopez has lost a step. And for some reason hasn't been the same fighter since getting his ass kicked by Cambosas. So there's a lot of money still for Ryan Garcia to be made. Continue boxing. He's only 24 years old. And... He's got to work on his defense, and his, his chin is up in the air, and he's a sucker for those counters, as shown by Luke Campbell and as shown by Javante Davis. And against a generational talent, against a great counterpuncher, like a Shakur Stevenson, like a Devin Haney, like a Frank Martin, like a Regis Prograce, he's food for those guys. But there's still plenty of money for Ryan Garcia to be made. Great, great questions, uh, uh, Scott I appreciate you listening. You listening first time, you put in a, a question, and man, keep keep sending those questions. All right, LL School K asks, "What do we need to do to get circus acts out of boxing?" And he's talking about these god awful exhibitions, like the Paul Brothers, Floyd's exhibitions that he keeps fighting against these uh Asian Asian mixed martial artists, uh, <laughs> karate guys. There's nothing I could do about it. There's nothing we could do about it. All we could do is ignore it. That's it. That's what I do. I mute the shit on Twitter. I mean, and on this podcast, I don't bring it up. 
I totally ignore it. And fuck the media that thinks this is good for boxing. It's a fucking joke. It's a fucking disgrace. And I am not going to address it ever on this podcast. Thanks again, LL. Um, LL has a couple of uh, more uh, 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 questions. He wants to know, why is it so damn hard driving in my city? Great place to visit, not truck friendly. No, it's not truck friendly. As a as a long-time dispatcher and manager of courier services, uh, the last 18 years, uh, 16 of the, 15 of the last 18 years, I've spent managing courier services. With my trucks, it's damn near impossible to move around the city, especially in Midtown Manhattan. Now, Long Island, Queens, no problem. Upstate New York, no problem. But New York City, Manhattan, the Bronx, Brooklyn, driving a truck is a nightmare, uh, big man. The, the gridlock is real. All right. And he has one final question. His favorite Ice Cube song is True to the Game. What do I think about this joint? True to the Game is a phenomenal song. Look, Ice Cube is in my... Now, I don't listen to hip-hop anymore, ladies and gentlemen. I only listen to slow jams. But when I did my all-time hip-hop list, Cube is either 6th or 7th on my 10 greatest MCs of all time. I love Ice Cube. My favorite album, my Ice Cube, is Lethal Injection, a slept-on album. And people ask, why do you like that album more than any of his other classic albums? Because that album was Ice Cube as a as a black nationalist speaking about the ills of white supremacy. That's what I love about Lethal Injection. All right. You guys could always check that album out, Lethal Injection, streaming off Spotify or, or Apple uh, Music. All right, ladies and gentlemen. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, here we go. Um let me go to hold on, let me take a let me, let me let me take a quick pause here for a second and I'll be right back. And now my historical overview of my greatest fighter of the last forty five years, Shanga Ray Lennon. In the history of box oh and by the way, this is part one. Part two will be next week. In the history of boxing, few fighters had an IQ greater than Raymond Charles Leonard. And by the way, fun fact, Raymond Charles Leonard was named after Ray Charles by his parents. Now listen to this. Ray Charles' real name is Ray Robinson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Raymond Charles Leonard, his name is derived from both Sugar Ray Robinson and Ray Charles. Everything comes full circle. In the history of boxing, few fighters had an IQ greater than Raymond Charles Leonard. His boxing intelligence, along with his natural-born charisma and incredible talent, made him the third greatest welterweight of all time, in my opinion, and the greatest fighter 
of the last 45 years. After winning the light welterweight gold medal at the 1976 Montreal Summer Olympics, Leonard decided to retire from boxing and enroll in college. However, that decision wasn't feasible because he was raising his young son Ray Jr. with his fiancée Juanita. His father had also become seriously ill, forcing Leonard to forsake his collegiate plans and turn pro. Instead of signing with the den kings of boxing promoters, Don King and Bob Arum, no pun intended, Leonard turned to Baltimore millionaire and powerful attorney Mike Trainer to be his financial and legal advisor. Trainer then brought in legendary boxing trainer Angelo Dundee to be Leonard's chief trainer. Trainer also secured a lucrative deal with ABC to televise all of Leonard's fights. Leonard, whose style was almost a carbon copy of his idol Muhammad Ali, now had Ali's trainer and the iconic announcer Howard Kelsell. That's right, I was there at the very beginning. Helped mold his career. With Dundee guiding him in the ring and Kelsell announcing his fights, the formula was set to make Leonard the successor to Ali as the next major boxing star. In 1978, Dundee and, t- and Trainer turned down an offer to fight fellow rising welterweight superstar Thomas Hearns for $250,000. Dundee felt that instead of fighting for thousands, they should fight for millions once both were established as the best fighters in the world. Incredible foresight by one of the great masterminds in boxing history. Instead, Leonard would hone his craft beating very tough fighters in Randy Shields, the father of Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather Sr., Marcus Geraldo, Adolfo Viret, and Pete Ranzani. This would lead to a fight on September 28, 1979 against veteran Andy Price, a tremendous boxer who had defeated the then WBA welterweight champion Pepino Cuevas before Cuevas had won the title. Cuevas had ducked Price since, and if Price defeated Leonard, he would get a shot at the WBC champion Wilfred Benitez. Leonard put on an incredible display of hand speed and power, knocking Price out in the first round and securing a shot at Benitez's, at Benitez's title. It would be a battle of two great boxers in their in their early 20s, held on November 30th, 1979. The fight with, ben, with Benitez was televised in primetime by ABC with Howard Cassell as the announcer. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I was there to see the coronation of Raymond Charles Leonard. Benitez was one of the greatest defensive fighters of all time. He had defeated Mexican great Carlos Palomino early in the year to win the title. Leonard knew he was in the toughest fight of his life and he rose to the occasion. Leonard stayed in the pocket throughout the entire fight. As any dancing would have made it harder to hit Benitez, he relied on a great jab, sharp right cross, and effective body punching whenever Benitez was on the ropes. In my opinion, this was Leonard's finest performance of his career as he continually beat the master boxer Benitez to the punch. He dropped Benitez in the third round with a stiff left jab. Entering the 15th and final round, Benitez knew he was way behind and needed a knockout to win. He engaged Leonard in a firefight in the final stanza. Leonard outslugged Benitez throughout the round, knocking him down again with less than 15 seconds left in the round. Benitez got up, but with glassy eyes and bleeding profusely from his forehead, was in no continued was in no condition to continue. The referee stopped the fight with six seconds left. Leonard, at the tender age of 23, was now that WBC welterweight champion of the world.
and the undisputed top star in boxing, as Ali had retired just a few months prior to this fight. Leonard began focusing on a mega fight with Panamanian superstar and legend Roberto Duran. After destroying British contender Davy Boy Green on March 31, 1980, Leonard signed to fight Duran. The fight guaranteed Leonard $9 million. It would be held June 20, 1980 in Montreal, the site in which Leonard won his Olympic gold medal four years prior. Duran was Joe Frazier to Leonard's Ali, and the pre-fight buildup was just as na- nasty. Duran made several sexually provocative comments to Juanita, who was now married to Leonard. This really infuriated Leonard to the point that when the fight began, he unwisely decided to go toe-to-toe with Duran. In the second round, Durant staggered Leonard with a spectacular right cross. Leonard admitted afterwards that he was stunned for an additional three more rounds. Durant and Leonard staged one of the greatest fights in the history of the welterweight division in front of 46,000 fans. Durant won a razor-thin unanimous decision. Despite losing, Leonard, like Ali did in his first fight with Frazier, showed the world both a great heart and ability to take a punch. Now, like Ali, he had to prove he could revenge his first loss. He did so with a bang. The rematch occurred five months later in the historic New Orleans Superdome. The man his parents named him after, the incomparable Ray Charles, sang America the Beautiful before the fighters were introduced. My father, while we watched this fight on closed circuit in Madison Square Garden, told me at that moment that Durant had no shot to win that night. Leonard, spurned on by revenge and Charles' presence, put on an Ollie-like performance. Dancing and moving, making Duran look slow and old. Duran had to lose around 50 pounds to make weight. He was slow and listless. In the seventh round, Lennon embarrassed Duran by landing a bolo punch. Then, the incredible occurred. Towards the end of the eighth round, Duran threw up his hands in disgust and just quit. His infamous words have become part of boxing's law, no mas. Lennon exacted his revenge by making the most macho fighter in the history of the sport quit. In doing so, he regained his title, and his next major fight was now set to be made, an epic encounter with Thomas Hearns. Thomas won the first five rounds and was way ahead on the scorecards when, before the 13th round began, Dundee told Leonard, you're blowing it, kid, you're blowing it. Sugar Ray Leonard's eye was Almost completely shut, and he was way behind on all three scorecards. Despite Hearns' left jab that was battering him at will, Leonard sucked it up, staggered Hearns in the 13th round, and battered him into submission in the 14th round when referee Davey Pearl finally stopped the fight. Sugar Ray Leonard had defeated Thomas Hearns in the battle of the top two fighters in the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in 1980, when Durant and Leonard fought each other twice, they were considered the two best fighters in the world. In 1981, when he stopped Thomas Hearns to become the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, Hearns and Leonard were considered the two best fighters in the world. Now, in 1982, he was 26 years old and on top of the world, unfortunately. A detached retina that he suffered in his fight against Thomas Hearns because of Thomas Hearns' incredible left jab forced him to retire. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of part one of Sugar Ray Leonard's 
historical overview. He retired in November of 1982 at the age of 26. But as we all know, Sugar Ray Leonard was not going to stay retired permanently. We will talk about his several comeback attempts, his incredible victory over Marvelous Marvin Hagler next week on part two of my historical overview of my greatest fighter of the last 45 years, Raymond Charles Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard. It's been my pleasure again to talk to you people, to uh, give you my tidbits on boxing. Um, The next alleged big fight is Canelo versus John Ryder in in two weeks, in 10 days. That's a one-sided mismatch. The next big fight, ladies and gentlemen, to be honest with you, is Lomachenko versus Devin Haney, May 20th. And I'll give you my prediction the week before that fight. Next week, we will do part two of Sugar Ray Leonard's career. Until next week when we talk the world of boxing, another Q&A session, and my final part on Sugar Ray Leonard's historic career. I want everybody out there to continue to be blessed and be a blessing.